You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Excellent. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, great to have you here this morning, as Francine just said. You guys have done an outstanding job. Why don't we give them a big hand as they take their seat? Good job, team. And uh, have you enjoyed the kids? The kids were fun, weren't they, hey? There was a lot of excitement there. And uh, the little one in the middle looked like she needed another Easter egg, didn't she, really? <laughs> Heavy. Uh... But no, I thought they all all were wonderful. What a great uh, start to the service that was. (laughs) It's an exciting day today. It really is. Uh, If you get today, if you really enter into the spirit of today and understand it, I got to tell you, folks, you'll be filled with a joy. You will be unstoppable. You will be a force of nature. Uh, we're going to look at something this morning that we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. If, if you get your mind around uh, a better resurrection, then I've got to tell you, there's nothing this world can throw at you that will get you down. You have come to a really important service this morning because I'm sure there are people in this room and you've even said to yourself, I'm not sure I can take much more. I'm not sure I can keep going. If you enter into what we're about to realize what we're about to learn this morning, understand this morning, then those words need never pass your lips or even cross your mind again. We're going to learn something this morning that means that we are unstoppable. We've been traversing our way through the book of Hebrews and this morning we've arrived at Hebrews chapter 11 where I'm going to read from verse 32 where it says this, And what more shall I say? I didn't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. These people were characterized by their victory. It says, they shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fiery, uh, they quenched the fury of the flames. Uh, they escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and they routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Who doesn't want this? I mean, who doesn't read that and go, wow, political, military, uh, social power. This is incredible. But it goes on and it says this, but wait, there's more. <laughs> it says but, uh, where are we, he says, uh, but there were others, women received back their dead. Uh, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. There it is. There's our little phrase. They might gain a better resurrection. Some face jeers and flogging, even change and imprisonment. Uh, how many want to be in the first group? Uh, <laughs> they were put to death by stoning. Uh, They were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated, and everybody said, that's all right, (laughs) the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground, and you thought your house was average. They were commended, they were all, that's the first group, and... The second group, now this gets a little confusing, right? Even the second group who lived in holes and wore sheepskin and got sawed in half were commended for their faith. 
Yet none of them received what was promised since God had planned something better for us so that, so that, so that only together with us uh, would they be made perfect. If you can imbibe what we're going to share this morning, you can face anything. Two questions, what is it and how do I get it? Well, on the surface, it seems to be faith, right? That All that passage is about faith and we see these incredible examples of faith, people who were, as I said, characterized by their triumph. There was Daniel. Daniel was cast into a, uh, to a lion's den. The lions, the beasts were hungry on purpose so that they would consume him and eat him. Yet, through divine intervention, the mouths of the lion were shut. Um, the flames were quenched. Daniel's three fr- friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were cast into a, a fiery furnace that was so hot that even those casting them in were struck by the heat and perished. And yet these three young men were able to overcome this fiery furnace and they walked out not even smelling of smoke. They overcame incredible odds. They started at the margins, but through incredible perseverance and belief, they, they came through and, and, and overcame. The climax of all of that passage seems to be these two women who received back their dead. Uh, that's referring specifically to two instances in the Old Testament, one orchestrated by Elijah and the other by Elisha, who went into two women who had, uh, their, who had dead children in their arms and they brought those dead children back to life. These are incredible stories and we love it don't we? we we love these stories of overcoming we love to hear about somebody who goes to the doctor and they're told by their doctor you only have months to live but they pray and they believe and they they push through and we see a great miracle it resonates with us and and there's something within us that says yes I want that and I completely get it I understand it But here's the point, folks, and this is where I want to take you this morning. If that's your understanding of faith, if your understanding of faith is try hard, believe hard, pray hard, and and you'll overcome, then there's good news and bad news. This sounds like bad news, but in in truth, it's good news, and I'm going to explain why. If that's your understanding of faith, then your faith is doomed. Your faith is doomed. It's only a matter of time till you leave. It's only a matter of time till you turn your back on God. It's only a matter of time till you conclude this is all a load of rubbish. And I'll tell you why, because life is brutal and injustice is everywhere. And if you think that through prayer and belief that you will always see your agenda come through, then it's not going to work for you. I, I, came, I remember a story, it was a very famous story when I was a young person growing up, there was a an American singer, Joni Erickson was her name, and some of you will be familiar with Joni Erickson's story. Joni Erickson dove off a, uh, off a, a rock wall into a, a, a lake of water and hit her head. And through that incredible accident, her whole life was para- her whole body was paralyzed. She couldn't move, couldn't move her legs, couldn't move her arms. She could speak. And Joni Erickson was a Christian, and Joni Erickson was told. Uh, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. And uh, so she prayed and believed and looked for a miracle. And Joni Erickson 
remained a paraplegic. Fortunately for Joni Erickson and fortunately for us who have the uh, good fortune of, of, of having read her book, uh, she did not have a faith. She did not have an understanding that, that if disaster comes, then God isn't true. There's a major change in that little passage, and you can, if you've got a Bible, go home and have a closer look at it. At the end of the Hebrews chapter 11, it starts off with all these incredible overcoming odds stories. You know, um, if I was to, we could take that further. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, many of you no doubt have heard of Peter. Peter was arrested and thrown in the jail. Uh, but Peter prayed, and, and other friends of Peter prayed, and the result was the prison. The prison doors just miraculously one night opened up and an angel appeared and the angel led Peter to, to safety, uh, led him out of captivity. How incredible is that? Peter would have gone in the first list. But then there's another guy who I'm sure you've heard, you've heard of. His name was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he was arrested. And his, believers, his followers believed and prayed and John the Baptist prayed. In fact, they even sent a message to Jesus himself. Jesus was around in physical form, but what happened to John the Baptist? Uh, he lost his head. <laughs> so John the Baptist probably comes to the second list. David, you've probably all heard of David, you know, David and Goliath, that David. David was in the first list. Now David brought down the giant. You know, David did some incredible things, but he had a buddy, a, a close confidant by the name of Jonathan. And Jonathan was a, no, a noble uh, person. Jonathan was the son of a king. Jonathan had loyalty, he had trust. Jonathan was an incredible individual. But Jonathan probably would have come in a second list because Jonathan dies on a hopeless battlefield far from home. See, verse 35 is the, is the transitional verse. Verse 35, I read it again. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. I told you who they were. They were women who were under the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. It says, but there were others who were tortured, others, other women, uh, other um, sons of women. That's what that's referring to. I'm going to tell you a story in a moment about exactly what that is referring to, according to the scholars. Refusing to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. This um, passage is written to Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews, uh, original title. And uh, it was titled after the name of its audience. And Hebrews obviously understood their Hebrew history better than you and better than I. The Bible gives us a great rendition of Hebrew history to about 400 BC when the book of Malachi was written, to obviously the time of Christ. But there's 400 years of Hebrew history missing from what we know as the Bible. It's recorded, obviously. Obviously, the Maccabees and other writings uh, record the history of that great nation. But during that 400-year gap, what's known as the Maccabean period, uh, Israel was overtaken again by a cruel and sadistic king. And what this king would do is he would bring people out into the, uh, the, the center square of Jerusalem and he'd make them eat meat that was unkosher. He'd make them eat food that was not allowed under their religion. He'd make them eat it. And he said, if you don't eat it, I'll kill you. And then he'd make them say all kinds of things that would exalt him, the king, and desecrate Jehovah, their God. 
under the threat that if you don't do this, I will torture you. And if you continue not to do it, I'll torture you till you die. And I'll make all your family watch. I'll do it in a town square. And there was one very famous story about a woman who had seven sons. And this woman and her seven sons were brought before the king. I don't know where the father was. He's dropped out of the story. But it does talk about women whose sons were raised from the dead, not for some reason fathers, men. And it does talk about other children of women. And this particular woman was something out of the box. The king took her first son and started to um, torture him. He said, eat this, eat, eat this meat, speak against your God, praise me. And he wouldn't. He cut out his tongue while his mother and his brothers watched. Then they would lop off the limbs. Then they would roast them over a fire alive. And that was the first of the seven sons. When he was dead, they would bring the second son. He'd say the same, do this, exalt me and desecrate your God. And the second son would refuse and on down they would go and the mother was forced to watch this. And you'd have to ask yourself a question if you're a mother here this morning. What do you say? I'll tell you what she said, the words of the mother. She said, it was not I who gave you life. It was the creator of all things who gave you life and he will give it back to you. She said, die courageously and God will give you life. You see, one of the sons said to the king as the king was torturing him, take my tongue if you like, take my arms. I got them not from you. I got them from the God of heaven and you can take them from me, but he will give them back. And as crazy as that sounds, as a horrible, as, as graphic a, a story as that is, and it's somewhat upsetting, you know, and I don't necessarily mean to upset you anymore, but uh, this is what that passage is referring to. Uh, as upsetting as it, it, it is to uh, a, a, a people who are used to living a designer lifestyle. And, and for us, you know, we get all upset when our designer expectations are not being met. When what we kind of think should happen isn't happening. But the truth is, most cultures, in most centuries, most people are a few steps away from that kind of thing happening. As abhorrent as it sounds to those of us who live in Western civilization in the 21st century. Some women got their sons back. Praise God, they were dead and now they are alive. But then there were women where there was no intervention. There seemed to be no escape. Yet this woman, this woman was able to spit in the eye of the values of this world. How do you do that? I want to suggest to you the answer to that question is the key to life. How do you spit in the eye of the values of this world? And it says, the text tells us how. It says, because she believed in a better resurrection. You see, as wonderful as it is to get somebody back from the dead, the two women no doubt were ecstatic that their dead children had been uh, resurrected. 
No doubt Jairus, a, a, a man we read about through the ministry of Jesus, his daughter came back from the dead and Lazarus, which is a story that most would know about, Lazarus came back from the dead and it sounds great and wonderful, but the truth is, the truth is, they were still subject to death. The truth is, death was only postponed, death wasn't conquered. See, Lazarus came back from the dead and his two sisters thought it was marvellous, but none of you have ever met Lazarus. Lazarus is dead today <laughs> in fact the two sisters who were so excited about his resurrection are no longer here either because death had not been defeated it was merely postponed the woman who had her faith in a better resurrection did not have her hope in some kind of temporary miracle a temporary resurrection a temporary reprieve from disaster and from torture and from this circumstance. She had her confidence. She had her hope in something far greater. She believed in a literal future resurrection. You see, she believed in a new heaven and a new earth. What she was saying to her children was you will get those eyes back you will get those hands back we will get our family back we will get our lives back we will get our love back don't flinch in the face of persecution because she believed in a better resurrection when you believe in a better resurrection nothing in this world can undermine your joy you see, she just didn't have some kind of, you know, uh, superstitious uh, hope. Oh, gee, I hope it happens. I'm not sure. Oh, really? Let's pray and, you know, got my lucky rabbit's foot and whatever, you know, and let's just put all the, uh, our, our money on, on, on the best odds we can get. We don't know. It might work. It mightn't work. We're not sure. That was not her perspective at all. She trusted in something that she absolutely knew about. I mentioned Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who got cast into the fiery furnace. You know what they said before they went in? They said, our God can deliver us, our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we are not bowing our knee to the value systems of this world. And I've got to tell you, folks, the value systems of this world want you to bow the knee. And once you bow your knee to the value systems of this world, you are a slave to whatever the values of this world will tell you to do. And they'll fill you with worry, and they'll fill you with all kinds of strife, they'll fill you with all kinds of discomfort, because the value systems of this world will drive you to the ground. But we are here today to celebrate what is absolute good news. We are here today to celebrate the fact that you, like this woman, can spit in the eye of the value systems of this world and to say to the spirit of this age, you don't control me. But here's the thing, right? And this is, this is the big, big deal. This is where the whole thing swings, right? See, many people have faith in their agenda for God. The key is having faith in God. Not having faith in what you hope God's going to do for you. Or, or the, the woman I, I spoke about, the Hebrews refers to, uh, she didn't have her hope, and this is even, even deeper, I reckon, for mothers anyhow. She didn't have hope in God's agenda, for, in her agenda for her children. God, bless my children. Please, God. God, I've got this hope 
for my children and God, I need to see you do it. And God, if you don't, I'm going to be angry and cranky and whatever, whatever. She believed and she trusted in something that deep within her heart she knew was going to come about. It was the foundation of who she was. You see, a faith that doesn't require success, a faith that doesn't need success is the greatest success of faith. Those people that I read to you a moment ago, you know, the first group and they overcame and they, they subdued kingdoms and shut the mouths of lions and whatever. And the second group who were sawn in half and who lived in holes and who wore sheepskin. Uh, which group has greater faith? Now, you might say the first group and you'd be wrong. I'm not saying either group had greater faith. They all are there in the pantheon of faith heroes. What this is telling us is that faith doesn't need success. The ultimate success of faith is faith without success. If you have this, you can believe in the face of anything. These people, they had a knowledge that God, that Jesus is better. That God is better than anything that you hope God can do for you. See, so many people, they come to church. Uh, with an agenda that God's going to make their, their life better, that, that God's going to do something for me, and I want God to do this. And, and I've spoken to people, I've looked them in the eye, and they've said to me, I've come to church, you know, I, I, I gave my money, my time, my talent, I, I surrendered to God, I prayed and I believed, and nothing changed. I'm going to try something else. <laughs> I'm going to try positive thinking. I'm going to try Buddhism or whatever, you know. I probably just assign myself to materialism and the values of this world. And, and what they were saying was, my faith wasn't in God. My faith was in my desire for a designer lifestyle, my agenda for God. See, it, let, let, me, let me read it to you again. It, it says that and at the end of the chapter, where it says how they got it. So what, what, what is it? What is it that can change your life? What is it that can make you a force of nature? What is it that can cause you to rise above every circumstance? That is the knowledge of a better resurrection. That is the understanding that death has been defeated. That, that, that no matter what this world throws at you, you know it's only temporary in its nature. Where do you get it from? The, verse, the last couple of verses, it says, these were all commended for their faith, those who got it and those who didn't, yet none of them received what they'd been promised. Even those who overcame had more promise they hadn't seen. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, so them and us together. And I want to say to you this morning, them and you and I together, we will all be raised together. In this, new, in this new era, and we will be made perfect in that. What gives you the ability to spit in the eye of the value system of this world? All these people in the past, all will become complete together. They had a, their eye to the future, and they were believing for something that you and I now know is the past, the resurrection of Jesus. They were believing for that day that death would be defeated. We are here today to declare death has been defeated. No matter what this world throws, us at, throws at us, it's only temporary. 
We will get our tongue back. We will get our limbs back. We will get our finances back. We will get our family back. We will get our love back. We will be united in eternity as one. I've got to tell you, they saw it. And I want to ask you this morning, can you see it? So you might say, oh, but I'm just a crybaby, you know. <laughs> I could never do that. I, I, I don't know what kind of people they are, but, you know, I, for me, I only, it's the only stars I sleep under are five stars. You know? <laughs> for me, when the bed's a little hard, I, I get a bit cranky. <laughs> I'm a bit of a, I'm a softy, I'm a scaredy cat. The truth is, folks, that you and I have greater capacity than those we read about in Hebrews because we live this side of the resurrection. See, every religion talks about you know, some kind of life after death or something, but this is the only tenant of faith that doesn't give us a story but gives us a person, a resurrected person. A famous Greek philosopher, Epicurus, that some of you might have heard of, he says this. He said, I could die happy if I was absolutely sure that the death that death was the end of it, that just peaceful oblivion lay on the other side. But of course, since nobody can be absolutely assured of that, nobody, you do not know 100%. If you don't believe in Jesus and you haven't had that, 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 that recognition of a resurrected individual and you think, well, once you die, you're gone, how do you know that? You've heard people saying, you know, I mean, there's a bit of a bit of a, um, a murmur around at the moment about the whole idea of assisted killings, you know, and because the, the, the story goes like this: better to die than suffer, right? Better to die quickly and easily than go on living a, you know, a, a, a below average life. You've all heard that in the news recently. My my question is, how do you know that? <laughs> like, are you a hundred percent sure that's true? Uh, uh, you can see the pain and the suffering of this life and, you know, people hooked up to all kind of machines and so forth and so on. And, and the argument is, you know, we'll turn off the machine. The argument is help them depart peacefully and with dignity uh, and to, you know, move from this horrible, painful experience. Of course, the question has to be asked is move to where? <laughs> How do you know that this is worse than that? And according to Epicurus, the truth is you don't know. Truth is, you don't know. Newsweek magazine, a, uh, a very secular publication, has recently come out and concluded that the resurrection must have happened. And they've concluded this on the basis that there's no historical possibility, possible alternative for the explanation of the church. You see, the followers of Jesus had no idea of a resurrection. It was not in their thinking. It was not in their philosophy or their theology. It was not in Greek philosophy. It was not in Jewish philosophy, a resurrected Messiah. They all thought Jesus would be uh, hung on the cross. Uh, he would die there on the cross, and that was it. They were hoping that just as he was about to be put on the cross, that you know he would call whatever uh, uh, an army, and he would defeat the Roman scourge, and he'd set himself up as the, the king of Israel. They were hoping that was going to happen. But they had no idea once he was crucified, he'd come back to the dead. As I've said before, when they went to the grave on Resurrection Sunday morning, 
Nobody expected nobody. They were expecting a body. They thought, we go there, and oh, but it wasn't there. And what happened was, they were so transfixed, they were so amazed by this, and then Jesus appears to them. And how else do you explain the existence of the church through the first century, why the established authority of the Roman Empire were feeding them to the lions and trying to stamp out this Christian faith business, that this Jesus cult, both the Jewish establishment and the Roman imperial army tried to murder and kill everybody who said they were a Christian. And all those followers of Jesus scattered in fear, but something happened that caused a turnaround. And they died. They died not for what they believed in because they weren't believing in a resurrection. They died for what they'd seen. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, hundreds of people. In fact, while the Bible has been written, it refers to this and nobody stands up and opposes it because the people who saw his resurrected body were still alive. Nobody has hallucinations in groups of hundreds but hundreds saw him alive. You say, oh, the whole idea of a resurrected person, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a leap of faith. It's too hard for me to comprehend. I want to say to you folks, have a look around this room. You know, I'm going to be leaving here in a moment, going speaking at another packed room at Collingwood Park. And around this nation today, tens of thousands of people around this world, millions, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people are going to be gathering in places like this to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are all these people crazy? Newsweek has concluded to actually actually conclude there is no resurrection. It's too much of a leap of faith. We, we, We can't, it's too hard to comprehend. I have to say, if something on the inside of you is railing against it, <laughs> the burden of proof is on you. The burden of proof is on you. You have to come up with some other conclusion as to how the Christian church got out of the first century when the Jewish religion and, and the Roman establishment joined together for its obliteration. And they had no guns. They had no army. They had no leader per se. But they just kept popping up. It just kept popping up. It was irresistible. It could not be overcome. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's just like us. We cannot be overcome. We just keep popping up. We just keep, because we have this faith in a better resurrection. You can believe. If you believe, you can be like this woman who can spit in the eye the values of this world. And you can say, Jesus is alive. When he came back from the dead, he had, um, had his, uh, his nail scars in his hands and in his feet. And you have to ask why. Why would you do that? I mean, um, some of you here this morning have got scars and we can't see it because you put makeup on it, right? So, and God bless you. You know, I always say if it needs makeup, wear it. I have no, <laughs> no issue with that. But here's, here's my thing. If, if you have the power to come back from the dead... Wouldn't you have the power to cover the scars? Why would you leave them there? Why would you walk around scarred when you don't need to? 
Like you would think that, hey, I've got power to overcome death. Surely I can get rid of these scars. But for some reason, Jesus left the scars in his hands and in his feet. And when the disciples saw those nail scars, something clicked on the inside. I want to suggest that's why he left them there. You see, when they saw the nails go into his hands, they choked. They, they, they ran. They, they were uh, shattered and they scattered. They couldn't handle it because their agenda, see, they weren't believing in Jesus. They were believing in an agenda for Jesus. And that was a political uh, rule over Palestine, that, that, that Jesus would set up his authority to get rid of the Roman uh, insurgents. And they would be part of his cabinet. That was in their thinking. And he's got these nail scars in his hands and he's reminding them that the very thing, the very thing that is cause for their celebration was the very thing they imagined would ruin their lives. The very thing which is cause for their celebration was the very thing they imagined had ruined their lives. And I just think that is such a powerful thing to remember, that your scars will be turned into stars. If you can believe in the risen Son of God, if you can shift your agenda from faith in what God might do for you, through, from faith in what God might do for your children or through your family, to just Jesus, to faith in Jesus, to believing in Jesus, then, then this, this resilience... This power is yours. This understanding that every failure leads to a greater resurrection. Every humility will be turned into gold. See, the reason why Jesus showed up showing his scars, I think, was a reminder to those disciples that what they thought was going to destroy them has become the foundation of their hope and and. and and cause for celebration moving forward, number one. But number two, I think it just makes him look all the more beautiful, don't you? When you see that what he did, what he went through for you, and when you understand what he went through for me, doesn't it do something for you? Doesn't it melt you? When you think that the God who created heavens and earth, I mean, if this God actually exists, and that that same God would then come to this planet and take upon himself the form of a human who feels pain and suffers agony and hunger and all the other human things that you and I have to deal with on a daily basis. That this God who would have known none of that entered into all of that because of love, because of grace. And when we see his nailed, scarred hands, I just think it has an effect on the toxic sense of pride that so permeates my heart and I also believe permeates the hearts of the people in your world and probably even you. There is this sense of self-reliance. I'm okay. I'm going to make it. And we can bring Jesus into this equation. We can have Jesus there and kind of have Jesus as well. You know, he's going to help my future. He's going to help me, you know, do, do the right moving forward. He's going to, he's going to uh, salt and pepper my life so that it, it tastes better. 
bitter, bitter religion's not bad, is it? You know, but the religion for the kids, they should know the Ten Commandments or whatever. But Bible stories, I mean, let's face it, the Bible is the biggest selling book of all time. You know, it's not a bad idea that the kids have some knowledge of it. That was not what this was about at all. This was a personal revelation of a personal God who would come into a personal life, your life, and he would say, I'm prepared to die for you. I'll take the first step in terms of this reconciliation, in terms of you and I coming back together. Faith that doesn't need success is indeed the ultimate success. Faith. What I need to face anything in this world is a belief in a better resurrection. Is a belief that no matter what this world throws at me, this, what do we get? Three score and 10, 70, 80, 90 years. Even if you get 100 years. In the context of eternity, that. Where we sit now, Lazarus came back from the dead. Joy, amazing, how incredible. Then he died again. <laughs> how much extra life did he get? That. In the context of eternity. It wasn't much difference. It was a great miracle, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't much difference. That's the difference between faith and your agenda for God and faith in God. Faith in your agenda for God. Faith in God. Where's your faith today? You have this ultimate belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You do, you can face anything. How do you get it? Believe, not in your agenda. Believe in him. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you for everybody in this room. Lord, I know that you died for each one of them individually, that you loved them. The nail-scarred hands are eternal telltale signs of your incredible love for us. And Lord, as we uh, gather together on this incredible day, great celebration. God, I pray that every heart would leave this place with a firm, fixed knowledge, their eyes firmly on that final resurrection, the resurrection of the living and the dead, the, that, 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 that uh, moment when death will be no be for you with it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 